Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Movember Radio. I'm Adam Groney, co-founder of the Movember Foundation. Movember is a community of over 5 million Mobros and Mo sisters from all around the world who are passionate about changing the face of men's health. We've launched a powerful campaign to tackle male suicide and raise awareness in the lead up to World Suicide Prevention Day on September 10. The message is simple. Men, let's talk when things get tough. Around the world, on average, we lose a man to suicide every minute of every day. This is a social crisis that demands our immediate attention and our immediate action because lives depend on it. Today we talk to Mobro Alan Sparks, a decorated police officer and one of only five Australian heroes to be awarded our highest bravery decoration, the Cross of Valor. Through his service, he developed PTSD, which led to chronic depression. It got so bad that at one point, Alan attempted to take his own life. During his recovery, he went through a significant period of poor physical and mental health, which resulted in him being discharged from the police force. Alan spent a lot of time recovering from these illnesses and is now a member of the Suicide Prevention Australian Network and speaks regularly about suicide and mental health. I hope you get as much out of this episode as I did talking with Alan about his remarkable story. Al, welcome to Movember Radio. I'm at uh, Movember headquarters here in Los Angeles. Where do we find you today? Hey, good morning, Adam. Uh, I, uh, I'm in Sydney, and I live in a little suburb called Erskineville, which is uh, part of the, the lovely inner west of Sydney. So it's a pretty, uh, pretty cool place to live. Beautiful, and uh, we're in the height of summer over here. I imagine you're uh, in the... Well, it's a Sydney winter. They're not too bad, typically, are they? No, they're okay. It gets a bit cool, but, uh, but no, it's very, very, very manageable. Excellent, excellent. Well, today we're talking about the importance of getting men to talk, and you know this all too well, but when it comes to our health, particularly our mental health, as men, we don't talk, we don't take action, and we rarely put up our hand and say we're struggling. And I know this is a very personal and sensitive topic, but it'd be great if you could share your journey with us, um, just to provide some context of your background, and then we'll open up with a, a chat around that. Yeah, sure. Uh, I was a uh, police officer in New South Wales in Australia for 20 years. Uh, I was operational for the majority of that time. Had a little stint uh, as a lecturer at the detectives training course, but most of my time was operational. 
and uh, through my service I developed chronic PTSD and associated uh, chronic depression and uh, sadly ended up becoming suicidal and attempted to take my own life uh, many years ago and as a result of that uh, I went through a very significant period of uh, very poor physical and mental health and uh, lost my career and uh, had to spend a long, long time uh, recovering from those illnesses and, and, and thoughts of taking my own life. Wow. And what was the point at which you realised that something was really long and, and how long did it take you to, to get to that point? I can pretty well nail it down, Adam, that uh, my first experience with struggling with my mental health was in 1995 and that was uh, as a result of two of my uh, colleagues being murdered and the, my involvement in the emergency action team that night was the, was the first time that I really felt as though that I had been affected uh, psychologically as far as my work was concerned to a degree that I was not performing uh, my duties as I would normally do, I was not uh, living my life as I would normally do. So that was the first realisation that my psychological health uh, was failing. And that's a really scary, scary time when suddenly your life starts to change and you feel as though that you are not in control anymore. And, and it's a very, very, very frightening time. And following that, uh, my mental health started to continue to decline and uh, it was not long after that incident I was involved in a, a rescue of a little boy who had been uh, washed 600 metres down a stormwater pipe. That uh, that was basically the straw that broke the camel's pack back as far as my uh, mental health was concerned. And the PTSD and depression uh, overtook my life and the mistakes that I made uh, and the failings that, that I instigated uh, caused me to become suicidal and try to take my own life. Having served in the military, in the, the army in the 90s, I, I can only imagine the police would, would be a little bit similar in that. Certainly back then, you didn't show any signs of emotion. You, you didn't show any signs of being vulnerable. And in fact, you always put up a, a front as, as being in control. And that was very important as a leader and, and someone in, in the military. But... Um, oftentimes and in different environments and, and away from the job that can, that sort of mentality I can only imagine can be so so damaging and I'm just wondering whether that culture was similar in the police force and, and were some of those things um, you know working against you yeah they, they were certainly the, the stigma of uh, mental illness was at its peak probably around those times and, but I think the reality is, Adam, uh, you know, in, in occupations such as first responders and operational military personnel, yeah, it, it is hard and it is tough and you have to be strong. I don't, uh, I don't dispute that. But I think the great thing is now that we understand uh, what takes place physiologically, which causes us to, to react emotionally. And back then, I had none of this knowledge and I don't think anybody did really. And so 
I can understand why things went wrong. I can understand why I made the mistakes that I made. But now I'm, I'm so positive about the future because we know so much more and we can learn so much more. But we still have a lot of work to do and we still have to change the mindset of if somebody starts to feel as though they're struggling psychologically, we have to allow them to understand why that's taking place, certainly as far as our first responders and military, and then how we can then implement uh, practices and procedures to help those people overcome those feelings and, and go back to their life and their work uh, smarter, stronger and wiser uh, so that they can cope even better for the future if that's what they choose to do. Mm. And there's certainly a role for the, the workplace environment to, um, to play into that, but there's also a big role for your friends and, and family. And, and sort of part of what I wanted to talk about today is the role that friends and family can play in sort of noticing changes and potentially something's not up and then just reaching out and, and how important uh, that is to sort of lifting someone out of those darkest places. And I'm just wondering when, when you're in those moments where you were um, contemplating your life at that stage had you seeked any professional help or were you just trying to deal with it yourself uh, two factors firstly I, I was trying to deal with it myself uh, in the initial stages and that was a complete and total failure in many ways uh, I, like you I had always maintained very very high levels of physical fitness I was, I was playing representative rugby union. I was part of the special weapons operations team, so professionally I was required to maintain high levels of physical fitness. I uh, wasn't drinking very much. I uh, was smoking a bit, but not, not a great deal. Caffeine intake was very moderate. Um, and, you know, life was, was really, really good. But then after Crescent Head, uh, things changed dramatically and, and, and very swiftly. And my physical health, started to decline along with my mental health and that continued uh, for a long, 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 long time. So it was a downward slope that I started to slide down and I tried to uh, crawl back up that slope through my own thinking processes. Uh, in the later stages, I thought, you know what, I, I really need to go and get some help and I spoke to my commanders. And at that stage, uh, the, the stigma of mental illness was, was so strong that if you disclosed or declared that you were struggling psychologically or you were diagnosed with a mental illness, then mm. your career was over. That was it. So that, for me, was a significant challenge um, and a decision that I had to, to make. You know, was I prepared to risk my career to try and get better? Uh, and I think... For a lot of men, it's that, that challenge of do I disclose, do I tell somebody that I'm not well? You know, hopefully now in, in the year that we live in that there is no such repercussions, whether it's um, the military, the police, first responders or, or any work environment, but there still hangs this um, expectation that we have as men that we should never be vulnerable and, and we never want to sort of burden our friends and I think potentially more now that this stigma is around you know admitting to your friends and family that that you're not coping um, and need some support and, and I just wanted 
your perspective on, on, on that and the importance of the connections with friends and family? Yeah, it's, it's a really challenging time for somebody and certainly you know, I think for most men it's like, well, they're too busy and they don't, they don't really understand and how they're going to help anyway. And I think that's the other side of the coin, Adam, is that, yeah, sure, people do need friends and family to, to be there for them. But for friends and family to be there for them, they have to be equipped with the knowledge and the resources to help that person. It's not, it's not enough just to say, look, we're there for you, we love you, we care for you, we'll do anything for you. Uh, whilst that um, is in some ways reassuring, it doesn't actually provide any assistance for somebody who's in a desperate state of wanting to take their own life. Mm. And that's the importance that if, if somebody sees that one of the people that they care about, that they love, is not well, they then have to be proactive to, to go out and, and find out as much as they possibly can about what to do in this situation. And as you say, in, in the modern day, uh, there's a wealth of information out there, a wealth of resources out there that people can go to to get professional advice as to, I have somebody who is not well, I'm worried about their health, I'm, I think they may be suicidal. Please guide me as to what I need to do. Mm. So then you can go to that person who you care about and love and say, you know what, I've, I've made some inquiries, I'm really worried about you. This is the advice that I've received and how about we work out a plan to get this, this thing happening. Mm. And I think by doing that, it then allows the person who is struggling to know that that person has gone way out of their way to to find out all this information, to, that they genuinely do want to help and they are in a position to actually start the ball rolling to, to help that person um, on the road back. And that is that is so important. And mm. that's where organisations such as Movember and things can really, really help by having easy, quick access to information resources that will help these people help others. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. And I'm just interesting, interested, as you explained that, um, in your sort of darkest moments when, when you were suicidal, um, what would have helped you the most in, in those moments? For me there was no sense that I could ever, ever get better and that this was going to be the, my life for as long as it lasted and that was just pure agony. So there were no stories or no examples of anybody who had recovered, um, who had overcome their PTSD, their depression, their suicidal thoughts. There was, when I first uh, met with the psychiatrist, um, and he explained the diagnosis. And my question was, you know, will I ever get better? And he said, Al, to be honest, I don't know. Um, we just don't know much about this stuff. So I think that it is so important that we embrace uh, as much as we can, we capture as much as we can, the people who have recovered from that and, and utilise those people as... The, the guiding light in many ways for mm. people to say, you know what, you can actually get through this, you, you can recover. And then that can give people back hope that they will get through it and again break down uh, the stigma so that it would have been 
I would have gone, been able to go to a psychiatrist with absolute confidence that my career was safe, that yes, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling psychologically, uh, please help me. And they were the things that I look back on that, that, that would have made a huge difference to me. Mm. And what were the paths to sort of recovery and, and how did you start to see a little bit of light and create little bit little milestones for yourself or were there there were other things that um helped you along along the way sort of in, in that very early point where where as you say sort of no matter what's around you what people are saying you're just in your darkest moment yeah it's being brutally honest adam it's a it's not a quick fix for when people get to that stage and that was a problem that i had let it go on Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. For so, so long, uh, through my fault, uh, and I equate it that for every minute you defer getting professional help, it'll cost you an hour of recovery time. Uh, and you know, I went for months and months and months of not getting professional help, and that cost me years and years of recovery. And that wasn't just uh, being in a suicidal state for years and years. It was just that it was took a long, long time to, to get back to my full health. So in the initial stages, uh, I was taken for crisis counselling the night that I t- tried to take my own life. The next day, I was taken before the psychiatrist, for a crisis assessment, um, he put me on a drug, an antipsychotic drug, which was extremely powerful, which is uh, not used in Australia anymore. Antidepressants. Uh, I had to see him um, three three days a week. See the psychiatrist three days a week, mm. and that wasn't a case of can you go to the psychiatrist and suddenly you'd feel better. Uh, there was a there was a whole lot of um, groundwork to be done a whole lot of me understanding my mental illnesses that I've been diagnosed with and overcoming the, the, the feelings of, of still being an absolute failure and a loser, uh, still feeling so embarrassed and humiliated and shameful that I had to go to the psychiatrist three days a week, that I couldn't be at work, um, 
and because of the stigma back then that the commander's viewpoints were that, well, any any interaction with the police was going to be bad for him, so my colleagues were given directions not to have any contact with me. Uh, I, you know, I just felt like a leper, and it was a case of me wanting to get better, me wanting to prove to my wife and my family that I was trying to get better, was the process that I, I went through for a, a long, long time. And slowly but surely you, you get, I suppose, accustomed to that, that life and you then, and you have to make a lot of decisions along the way um, and a lot of self-searching and, and looking deep, deep into your soul to say, you know, are you, are you really up for this? Are you, are you really prepared to, to go through this process? And again, there was nothing at the end to say, well, yes, Al, if you do this, you'll, you'll reach this goal, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. For me, my goal was to get back to work as quickly as I possibly could, and that what I was, that's, is what I was working towards, to get back to work, because that was, for me, my, my, where my sense of worth was. And then about 18 months after uh, you know, I had been working so hard to get back to work, I received a phone call from uh, police headquarters to say that I had been, uh, been discharged and I'd never applied for discharge, so for me it was basically like they'd throw me out on the scrap heap. And that was another uh, devastating uh, blow to me uh, psychologically and personally, and that sort of set me back a long way um, in my goal to recover my full health. Yeah, it must have been a um, an absolutely devastating blow to, um, you know, have served for so long and then to have that as your sort of immediate goal and then for that to be taken away from you without even, you know, you having the ability to get back and, you know, give it another, give it another go. Um, yeah. And so beyond that, like, how did, was there a new sort of, thing that you tried to focus on beyond once once you worked through that no doubt that devastating period where you were reconciling that news but how did you pick yourself up and what did you focus on for me it was a case of uh why i had to i had to, to try and develop a new career or new careers and in hindsight adam what i realize now is that what i was searching for was to regain my sense of worth and for, I think, men in particular, their sense of worth, i.e. pride, uh, is, is incredibly important to people. And it was a search for something that would give me back my sense of worth, that I would feel as though that I had uh, regained the person I once was. And along the way, I received some you know, pretty significant awards for my service. And they, they uh, since put into perspective what I had gone through to receive those awards and then developing new businesses. Setting, setting little goals was very important so that if I, didn't, if I didn't overextend myself and I didn't fail, it just helped me feel as though that I was moving forward. Hmm. And I did end up becoming um, very successful as far as business was concerned. I went back to college and retrained myself in another field, completely different to police work. And that was a wonderful thing for me to achieve. But uh, ultimately, the thing that I realise now was that the most important part of my life was 
when I took my wife and my two young children to England and we bought a yacht and we sailed it back home to Australia. And that, that was the, uh, that was like, holy shit, you know, <laughs> I have really done it. Oh, I've really made it and I'm back with a vengeance. Are you, are you calling that a small goal? <laughs> no, I I did read that in the preparation for this chat and um, it's like that that is an epic adventure and uh, putting yourself right out there on the uh, on the seas in a little boat it must have been an amazing sort of bonding time and I can only imagine the amount of time you got to think and reflect and and look around at the boat at your family and and how important all that sort of stuff is and and sort of I guess reflect on what is truly important to you. Yeah, it is. And but again, I think that whole journey that was like sixteen thousand nautical miles we sailed. But if you to use the analogy of of a journey of recovery, um, you know when we started out in England, we were all very very novice sailors. And it was little steps by little steps. You know, the first step mm. was actually taking the boat seven miles across from England to the Isle of Wight. That was the first major step for my kids. You know, that they wouldn't let me put the sails up because they said that, that it was too rough. I mean, that the sea state was about ten inches, <laughs> and it was, it was blowing about ten knots. You know, so we had to motor across to the Isle of Wight. So, you know, at that stage, if somebody had said, "Oh my God," Yeah, and we didn't think about then taking the boat back to Australia. It was, you know, we don't know where we're going really. So, you know, we, we, we got across to the Isle of Wight and we, we thought that was quite a major achievement. And that was in uh, April of 2009. And in November of 2009, we were setting sail from the island of Las Palmas and the Canary Islands with a 3,000-mile nautical-mile journey ahead of us across the Atlantic Ocean. So... As you so correctly say, mate, it, it's just, it's little steps by little steps and you learn so much along the way and you don't try and bite off too much at the one for the first first crack at it. Yeah, and it's that adage of, you know, every day just being a little bit better than, than you were yesterday. And uh, I also was saying we use it November, it's, you know, it's it's not about the destination, it, it, it is about the journey and it, it could be sailing around the world, it could be dealing with mental health issues, it could be some... Um, business entrepreneurial venture that that you're focused on it's yes there's somewhere we we all want to get to but it, it really isn't about that it's about the day-to-day and the, and the journey and and who you get to do do it with along the way and um this doesn't go away so al 18 years on um where do you sort of put yourself now in terms of your mental health and also your physical health I think that because I uh, have been fortunate to become involved in so many wonderful organisations that, that focus on good mental health, I have learnt so much about uh, my illnesses and my understanding of them. And I believe now that I am probably at the best state of mental health uh, I have had for years and years and years. Uh, physically, I still train really hard. Uh, I do a minimum three days a week training. Um, I still play rugby union. Uh, I was in a boxing tournament last year, which I trained really hard for. <laughs> um, so I love being physically fit. Uh, I don't. I don't drink very much at all. Um, I made a vow to my daughter that I would never smoke again. That was probably. 
17, 18 years ago. Uh, so I haven't smoked for that, that time either. So my, my overall health, I would say that I am, for my age, I'm in, in great shape physically and mentally. And uh, I'm really proud of that. And I intend to be that way for as long as I can. And you know, I've, I've been in great shape, Adam, now for many, many years. But mm. I think that for me, when I talk about my sense of worth, uh, that sailing trip, for me, that, that was what gave me back my sense of worth to say, you know what, I have made it back. And I'm a, and I'm a much better person now than I ever was. So it's important that you know, we help people find their sense of worth and we encourage good physical and good mental health and give people the skills to, to develop those as best they can. Yeah, very well said. There's, um, there's a lot of studies, and I know personally, just the relationship between your physical health and, and getting out there and doing whatever it is you do is, is just so important to manage day-to-day stress um, and to, to stay mentally healthy, and particularly when life throws you these curveballs, which that we're all going to get um you know just it's so important not to back off on on getting out there and walking running whatever it is you're yeah. um, you're into and, and sleeping adam it's we, we don't realize the importance of good sleep and you know i do a lot of uh, lectures now in relation to me- mental health resilience and the like and when i explain to people that you know, if, if you don't get the sleep you, you need this may happen to you and when people realize just how important such a basic function of sleep is, uh, it's, it can change your life. And you know, we, we have to educate people more and more and more about the physiological impact that life today is having upon them, mm. that the stress they're under professionally, personally, um, they're the things that we need to really, really educate people about because I think they're the things that, that make people vulnerable to, to mental breakdown today, which we know can lead to being suicidal. Yeah, it's amazing now with, with technology, um, you know, life work just um, doesn't turn off. It's it's constant in, in the background. We've got to, you know, I know myself professionally, you've got to learn to sort of compartmentalise that and, and not, to, not to be on the whole time because we just, we can't sustain it. Particularly at a at an effective rate, so maybe we might just wrap. Um, there will be some men listening um, who are depressed and potentially in a similar state to to what you were. What, what advice would you give to them? I think that it is really important to say what is what is happening to you uh, is is a sadly a result of your of your life and. It is something that you can regain control over, but it isn't. You you can't do it on your own. You you really need to engage professionals to assist you to help you understand why you have become so sick. To allow you to identify the areas that you can focus on in the short term to help your path to recovery, and then learn to build and build and build on that. You have to be very very patient. Um, you won't get better overnight. You have to work hard. You have to input and and give it as much as you can. But but patience is very very important. That medication can and does help. And you need the guidance of of professional clinicians uh, along the way. Mm. And you have to be very open about it. 
and you have to say, I will do whatever it takes to get better. And once you adopt that attitude, uh, you are on the way back and you will get better. And once you do, you then learn so much more about yourself and your life, say, to prevent this from occurring again. And then that places you in a position to be a person who can say, you know what, I got through this, I'm ready to help others. Mm. And you can then be the guiding light to uh, that, that can really impact on others' lives in a positive way. Yeah, well, well said. And, um, yeah, it, it is, you know, so many guys that I talk to that have been through journeys uh, like this that, you know, that's a, sort of the common thing that they say is just looking back, it was a temporary situation and what they were contemplate, contemplating was you know a, a permanent solution to to that moment and all of them without question have gone you know life is um life is better and it's still oftentimes hard work and it does take a lot of work to get through those moments um but um mate i, I just wanted to thank you for taking your time today to join us on the radio and your inspiration and and all the work you do around suicide prevention in australia and and around the world so al thank you um so much thank you adam and thank you uh november for what you're doing uh you guys are, are fantastic and we uh we are so grateful for everything that's been done cheers mate thanks a lot That was Alan Sparks, CV, joining us today on Movember Radio. If you've felt impacted by Alan's story or you need to talk to someone or would like to learn more about crisis support services, these are listed at movember.com. If you've missed an episode of Movember Radio, catch up at movemberradio.com. Thank you so much for listening in. This episode of Movember Radio was produced by myself, Adam Garoni, with the support of Jeremy McVean, Lavanya Nagedran, audio production by Daryl Misson, music by Toe Hider. Look after yourselves out there, and we'll catch you next time. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 